Yes, well, it, it is so good to be back. Uh, excited to be here with you. And uh, these are not mine. These are yours, Nick. Uh, it was great to get some time away. I'm so grateful to be in a context where um, we're blessed to get a little extended time away every seven years of ministry. Tammy and I really appreciate that. And uh, I know many of you gave in a free will offering to sort of bless us at the beginning, at the outset there. Thank you. Uh, we were so blessed and we are so refreshed and so grateful. And uh, so uh, just love this church all the more. And also so good to be back and great to be back at work and great to be back uh, with you and to be able to open up God's word with you uh, tonight. So that's very, very exciting uh, for me. Why don't we pray and ask for God's, God's blessing on that. Father, do come. Do come and speak to us. Uh, you speak through your word and you use preachers to expound your word. And so we pray that you'd open wide our hearts to receive what you have to say. I believe you've got things to say from this text that are so fitting for the times and the days that we live in. And I trust and hope for the people that are listening uh, to what, what we're speaking this evening. So have your way, Spirit, come work powerfully in our hearts to strengthen and uh, build up your church for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, this uh, series in Ecclesiastes, the, uh, the title for the series is Finding God in a Fallen World. And uh, I think we've seen probably about as much fallenness in the year 2020 uh, that most of us have seen in a decade uh, prior to that. What crazy times that we live in. The title for the message tonight is Advice in Difficult Times. And so we are facing some difficult times. There's lots of things going on, obviously, that you're very well aware of. We've got a respiratory disease without a vaccine spreading around the world. We've got large portions of our economy shut down. We've got people in semi-lockdown, schools struggling to open with students present. Racial tensions at an all-time high, well, maybe not an all-time high, but hitting a peak yet again. Contentious presidential election just months away. And, of course, not to mention for us as a church, restrictions, changing meetings, masks, meeting outside, distancing, singing, not singing, different times, all, all this stuff, just creating all kinds of changes, confusion, confusion, not easy. And it is a, it is a time where we are very vulnerable to disappointment, discouragement, and disillusion going to use those three D's a lot. I might just call them the three D's, maybe this unholy trinity of human misery, disappointment, discouragement, and disillusion. Disappointed in the circumstances we find ourselves in, disappointed in the impact of those circumstances and the changes it's brought about in our lives, disappointed in how others are responding to it, how we ourselves might be responding to it. Lots of disappointment to go around. And now it's been over six months since we've just started adjusting our meetings, uh, maybe nine months since we've really had uh, some of the kind of trouble that we're still walking our way through. And so when disappointment kind of continues on, we kind of move into discouragement. You have too many things that are disappointing, it becomes a bit 
discouraging and discouragement seems to sort of settle into our soul when we start saying how much longer is there an end in sight and what else is going to happen it's only august we've got four more months it was reading the story of noah this past week and thinking about our situation and thought you know there's something about could we all just kind of get in a really big boat and 150 days later get out altogether and see if the world is better after that, that would be kind of a nice break. Do you feel like just sort of curling up and hiding and saying, can we just wait till 2021 and see if something's better for us at that point? We get discouraged and then too much discouragement can lead to disillusion. When discouragement settles in for the long haul and we become permanently altered in some state of despair, these are the times where we're vulnerable to give up, to quit disillusion we're losing we're losing hope we've been discouraged for too long and it feels like we want to give up get off the path try something different this isn't working out well for all of this i think the the book of ecclesiastes is a wonderful gift from god this is exactly what this book is about solomon going through the the mother of all midlife crises so discouraged experiencing so much despair writes this book so that we have something from the Lord that kind of comes in alongside of us and meets us in our disappointments, meets us in our discouragements, meets us in our disillusion. Solomon, he saw it. He saw his share of fallenness in the world as well, and he was affected like you and I feel affected by this. But God had him write this book out for us, we have it to, to benefit from. To this day, we can read what this man went through before us and glean wisdom from above. The text that I have this morning is going to be towards the end of chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. I'm just going to read a few verses uh, from there. But in this text, and uh, this is like second to the last message in this series, so Lynn will wrap up what it's all about uh, next week. At this point, in these essentially end of 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, Solomon gives us some advice. Two pieces of advice, a strategy for us for difficult times. So advice, not advice like uh, take it or leave it, see if this works for you, try it on, turn it down if you don't like it. No, advice. This is in the Bible. This is authoritative. It's from the Lord. Uh, this is a different kind of advice that comes with God's authority. More like, uh, let's say, for example, you are in terrible health and you go to the doctor. You're a heavy drinker, heavy smoker. You got high cholesterol, you got high blood pressure, and you're going into the doctor, and the doctor says, let me give you some advice. You need to change your ways or you're going to die. Is that kind of advice? The advice is not coming to sort of promise we're going to eliminate all the troubles in the world if you just do these two things. No, this is the strategy from God that we all need to do as Christians to walk through times of trouble. Let me read a couple of verses. Chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom 
is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Piece of advice number one, when you encounter folly, don't be foolish. Stated another way, if folly, if foolishness seems to be winning the day, stay wise. Don't be foolish. This is the temptation in times of disappointment, discouragement, disillusion. We tend to give up. We tend to walk away from wisdom. And Solomon is saying, I've been there, felt that, know what you're going through. Here's some advice you've got to follow in these difficult times. Stay wise. Don't be foolish. From chapter 9, verse 11, through chapter 10, Solomon writes primarily about wisdom and folly. That's the category. That's his, the, the angst that he's seeing in the fallen world is like, you know, we all know wisdom is good. We all know folly is bad. But I'm looking at the world, and I'm finding it doesn't always play out the way it's supposed to. Sometimes the foolish seem to be winning. Sometimes the foolish ones get put in charge of things while the wise ones get, get marginalized. I've seen this, these things under the sun. It's, it's not right. It's not good. And I know that when you see these things, it becomes discouraging and even disillusioning. But here's some advice from above. Don't be foolish. When folly seems to be winning the day, when folly seems to be landing on top, don't you be foolish. Now, Wisdom, folly, you know, we throw out these terms. These are major categories. These are major biblical concepts that I think we have a general understanding. But, um, you know, the challenge with wisdom is applying it. You know, there's like, there's like an infinite number of ways wisdom plays out in our lives. And, and no set of books are large enough to contain all the potential applications of wisdom, although I think the Puritan Richard Baxter came close to writing every possible way of applying wisdom. But we know that it, it doesn't work like that. But there's something about wisdom that we need to understand. And if we get this, we will be able to make those applications. So let me illustrate something about biblical wisdom. There is a phrase in the Bible that appears uh, at least six times, maybe seven times, it goes like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if we want to understand wisdom, the, the scriptures are telling us that the fear of the Lord is the starting point. It's the foundation. If you get the fear of the Lord, anything and everything that you build on that, build from that, will be in the category of wisdom. Anything that you build on other than the fear of the Lord is going to be in the camp of folly and foolishness. So the fear of the Lord. This is what I want to illustrate. It's a funny thing to talk about the fear of the Lord because almost all the time we talk about fear, it's a negative thing. But when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it's a positive thing. So let me illustrate how it works. Most of us are afraid of something. And some of us are afraid of a lot of things. You probably have something on your list that you're like really afraid of. Fear of failure, 
fear of rejection, fear, fear of looking stupid, fear of spiders, something. You've got something on your list. Let's just say, for the sake of example, you are afraid of snakes, really afraid of snakes, thinking about snakes, talking about snakes, looking at pictures of snakes will do it for you, let alone being in the presence of a snake, touching a snake, having a snake touch you, too much to bear. You are afraid of snakes. And I come to you and say, I've got some, I've got some information. There is a snake in your house. I don't know where he is. He's just, he's in your house somewhere. Okay, I don't, I don't know if he's under your couch. I don't know if he's under your bed. I don't know if he's in your kitchen cupboard, curled up behind the pots and pans. I don't know if he's in your bedroom closet behind your 37 pair of shoes lying there. I don't know where the snake is. I just know the snake is in your house. So we close the meeting and you go home and you walk into your house, but you are afraid of snakes. So now all the time you are in your house, you, you, you cannot be unaware of the reality that there's a snake in my house. You can't just sit on your couch, flip on the television and relax and watch because you know there's a snake in your house somewhere and you don't know where it is. You can't lie down at night in bed and relax and drift off to sleep comfortably. You can't go into the kitchen, open a cupboard. You can't go get a pair of shoes, nothing. All the time you're in your house, you are consumed with this awareness that there's a snake in the house. Now we've got to make the transition from something that's so negative to something that's positive, but it, it illustrates how the fear of the Lord works. When you have the fear of the Lord in your heart, it means you're living life all the time with this awareness that you cannot escape, that God is there. He's present. Wherever I am, whatever I do, wherever I go, the Lord is there. He's present everywhere. I can't shake it. I don't get a time out. I don't get a break. I can't go on vacation and get away from the Lord. He's, he's always there. I'm always aware. And this is a good thing. And this is called the fear of the Lord. And so now everything that we do in life begins to be us living out of this awareness of the presence of God. And now you can begin to see how this transforms your life. If, if you and I did everything, if every thought, word, action in our lives was done because we are consumed with a, an awareness that God is right there with us, how that would change in effect. And that is, in essence, what the fear of the Lord is and how it works and how it operates in our lives. Some of our worst moments are the times when we lose our sense of the fear of the Lord. We think we're living life and God's not there. He's not watching. He's not present with us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So everything that we do, thoughts, words, actions, that are based on that foundation, that God is present, he's here with me now all the time, when I go to work, when I'm at home, in the privacy of my home, when I'm alone, when I'm with others, when I'm with uh, non-Christian people, 
It doesn't matter where I am, what I'm doing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom that determines how I apply, how I live, and how I walk this out. So Solomon takes us and he builds this case for wisdom. And he makes a couple little points. A little bit of wisdom can go a long way. Let me read a little story from chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. He says, I've seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works, siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man, but I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. A little bit of wisdom goes a long way. A little bit of wisdom can overcome a lot of folly. Wisdom is, is that powerful. I don't know if you've ever been in a, like, just a, like a lousy conversation. Nothing good is being said. Maybe you've been in a community group like this. Like, what is going on with this community group meeting? Nobody's saying anything worthwhile here. This conversation is going every which way. Nothing is adding up. Nobody seems to be grasping what we're supposed to be doing here. Nobody's being led to Jesus. Uh, conspiracy theory over here, this, that, the other thing. Everybody's just talking about stuff. But at some point, somebody chimes in, and it's a word from the Lord. Somebody speaks just a sentence of wisdom. And the room is cleared. The atmosphere is made right. Wisdom has that kind of power. A little bit of it can change a lot of folly and go a long way. But he warns the other side of that coin is that a, a little bit of folly can cause a lot of trouble. So be warned. So be careful, even with a little bit of folly. So he starts off chapter 10, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A couple dead flies in the vat of perfume makes the whole thing stink. It just takes a little bit of folly to ruin a lot of good. So Solomon is saying, beware, this is how folly works. It doesn't take a lot to spoil it. Back to that community group discussion, you could be having a great discussion. And all of a sudden, somebody throws out something that is just like completely off the wall. It's like it's 10 to 9. I don't know where that came from. I don't know what to do. I think we better just pray, wrap it up, and try again in two weeks and see if we can do a little better than this. A, a little bit of folly can cause a lot of trouble as well. Folks, what is God doing in these troubling times what does walking in wisdom look like for us if the if the beginning of wisdom is living aware of God's presence then then wisdom would tell us look folks regardless of the restrictions being put upon churches we're still the church we're still a worshiping people we're still a gathering worshiping singing community we're going to find our way through this. In spite of all the volatile rhetoric that's going on out there on the social media sites and different places, we're still called to speak the truth in love. 
We don't have to get caught up in that volatile rhetoric that's going on out there. We're called to something different. If you're surrounded by a bunch of folly, don't be foolish. Stay wise. Keep your head. Walk in wisdom. Say what you say as if God were sitting right there next to you. So whether we meet outside or inside, whether it's Sunday morning or Saturday night, with masks, no masks, close together, spread out, we're still a worshiping people. And we gather because Christians gather together. Wonderful article on the UK Gospel Coalition. Christians travel in herds. We're like herds. This is, this is, this is how we survive. This is our safety. This is our joy. We're like, we're like herd people like cattle, something. We, we stay together. We move together. We go through life together. Our security, our safety, our, our supply comes because we stay together. You know, the full glory of the gospel is not just in the fact that Christ came and died for you and saved you and made you a new man or a new woman in Christ. The full glory of the gospel is seen in the gathered people. It's the glory of the gospel in all of us united together. It's you being saved and me being saved and you being saved, and then we're knit together into a new household. And then the manifold glory, the multicolored glory of the gospel, that's when it really begins to shine and take its full form. So Ephesians 5 tells us, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Oh, yes, the days are evil. But here's the call of God on our lives in evil days. Walk as wise. Walk with wisdom. So that's piece of advice number one. Piece of advice number two from Solomon. When things don't grow, keep sowing. Let's look at chapter 11. Let me read a few verses there. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So in the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Solomon shifts from wisdom and folly to sowing and reaping and gives us another piece of advice. When things are not working out well, I mean like things are not working, things are not growing, keep sowing. Keep sowing. Not needle and thread, sowing, make clothes, sowing. Put seeds in the ground, invest in the future. Do something today that will produce good in the future. His disappointment, his discouragement, his delusion, his delusion, disillusion, not his delusion, his disillusion, is that things don't always work out the way they're supposed to. You don't always get a good crop. Sometimes you just, you have a bad year, you have a bad crop. It doesn't play out the way it's supposed to. We know, in theory, you sow, you reap. This is a concept, and God 
insist this is how the world works. And yet in our fallen world, it's a mix. He says you can't always know what's going to work out. We can't predict the future. Our lives in a fallen world does not come down to a simple little formula. We can't extrapolate tomorrow. If I just do this, if you just do that, things will work out. You don't know how, what will work. But the problem is when things don't go the way you want, the temptation is to withdraw, withhold, and to stop sowing. So Solomon comes in with some wisdom, some sound advice from above. Look, I know it's discouraging. I know things don't always play out the way you want. But listen, you've got to keep sowing. Whatever you do, don't stop sowing. I don't care if you have a bad crop. If you have two bad crops in a year, I don't care if you have three bad crops in a year. You, you can't not sow. This is like the dumbest thing you could do because the only way you're going to get food next season, the only way you're going get to get a harvest is if you're sowing seeds today. Now, Solomon could well be talking economics here, but Jesus tells a wonderful parable about the sower. You might be familiar with that, which really puts us into perspective and gives a little kingdom perspective here. The sower sowed the seed. And he tells us that the seed is the word of God. And the seed got sown all over the place, some on the path, some on the rocky ground, some in the thorns, and some in the field where there was good soil. Now, when you read that story, you, you have to wonder about this farmer. It, was he blind, or what, what in the world was this guy's problem? Oh, here's a stony path. Let me throw some seed there. And oh, there's some thorns and thistles over there. Let me throw some seed over there. But the point Jesus was making is the same point that Solomon is making. You don't know. You don't know what the ground is that you're throwing that seed on. So you, you, you lose a little bit. The metaphor kind of goes, you get beyond the metaphor, and you just realize in what we're talking about, you just, you just don't know what kind of ground the seed's going to fall on. And Solomon is saying, look, you really you don't know how it's going to play out, but you've got to keep sowing even if you don't know. So when Jesus says the seed is the word of God, we can read all of Scripture, all of the New Testament in particular, and say, okay, it's, it's not just like preaching. It's not just going around quoting Scriptures. We can conclude that it's really, it's every thought, word, and deed that are products of God's word. The word of God by the Spirit working in you, working in me, and the outworking, the, the, the produce of that, the, the fruit of that, the expression of that, all those are seeds being sown. For example, Paul refers to the, the, the financial giving as like sowing seeds. So there's, there's lots of applications. So, so work that comes out of the grace of God in us, expressions of that are sowing seeds. Seeds, they're investments. They're, they're seeds of God's grace that go out and that are meant to produce and, and reproduce. This is to help us with the temptation when things don't grow, when things don't go well. When you're discouraged, when you're downcast, when you're disillusioned, what's the first thing you do? You stay home for church. Maybe you did it in phases. First you stop giving, then you stop going to community group, and then you stop showing up on the weekly corporate meetings. Isn't it typically? We all feel this. We all experience this. We're all tempted in this direction. 
So we say things are not working out well. I've been sowing and it's not growing. So what's, what's the inclination of our heart? Withdraw. Withhold. Step back. And Solomon is saying, like, I get it. I understand what you're feeling, but you, you, you got to realize that's the dumbest thing you can do. You have to do exactly the opposite. All the more reason to sow even more diligently in those times. Those are particular times where it's extremely important to be investing in the future, sowing seed. You only make your life go from bad to worse when you stop sowing. And we tend to say things like, well, I tried that. It didn't work. I tried seeking God. I didn't really find him. I tried training these children. They're not getting it. I tried loving my spouse, and they're still the way they are. I tried being committed to a local church, and it just, I just had a hard time. Somebody was mean to me, and it, 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 just, it just didn't work. I tried that. It didn't work. And Solomon is saying, look, I know I've seen a lot of things not work in the world. I've seen some pretty strange things happen and some pretty, pretty sad things happen in the world. But listen, listen, friend, it's so extremely important that when things don't grow, you've got to keep sowing. That is the only chance of a future harvest for you. So Solomon's advice, keep sowing. He says life is a constant rhythm of sowing and reaping. Now, this is good news. This is good news even if you have a bad crop because there's another one. There's another season. It's good news even if you're in a situation where you're, let's say, reaping a harvest from some bad seed that you sowed some time ago. And we all have this. We've all sown some bad seed, and then we find ourselves living in a bad harvest. This is discouraging. This, these, are, these are difficult times, but these are hopeful times because what you can do in those times is sow some more seed. If you were sowing some bad seed, well, okay, and you're feeling the consequences, how about we don't sow those seeds anymore and let's start sowing some good seed instead. And the sooner you get started sowing some good seed, the sooner you start reaping a harvest of that good seed. Solomon's advice is, look, it's always a good time to sow more seed. There's never a bad day for sowing. Every day is a good day for sowing more seed. And it's never too late. It's never too late to stop sowing bad seed and start sowing good. Sometimes you get a little bit later in life and you think, I, I, I blew it. I messed up messed up my kids now they're all adults and gone didn't do it right didn't do a good job messed up my career messed up my marriage so folks i don't know what kind of consequences you experience in your life but here's the the wisdom of god solomon pressing in and saying look it, it, it doesn't matter at this point the right thing to do today is just start again sowing some good seed. Whatever's happened in the past, there's no wisdom. There's no benefit in saying there was so much bad in the past, I'm not going to sow new seed today. Only good can come from that. In fact, he says, sow 
even more. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you don't know what disaster might happen. You don't know what seed's going to grow. So, so, so more liberally. Diversify your portfolio is what he's basically saying here. Spread it out. Sow more. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Sow every direction you can. Just keep investing in God's kingdom in every way that you can find. And he gives us this warning. If, folks, if you fixate on the obstacles, you won't sow. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. If you're too fixated on the obstacles and the challenges and the problems and the bad crop we had last year and the troubles we're experiencing today and the setbacks and the restrictions and the this and the that, if you're too fixated, these are all just the winds and clouds. These are the winds and clouds that, that distract us. They're not the substance of who we are and what we're about. And so the call is to keep sowing. If ever there was an important time, and every day is a good day for sowing, if ever there was a season that the, that the church was in, that it was so crucial and so important for us to be sowing seed, it's today. Statisticians are telling us that one in three Christians have stopped participating in church. This is not Sovereign Grace Church Pasadena. These are the stats much more broadly, I'm assuming in evangelical churches. One in three have pulled out, disappointed, discouraged, disillusioned. I'm done. It's not working out. It's not playing out, it's not growing, not working, not getting the harvest I wanted, I'm done. What does it take for the people of God to cease and desist? Certainly not this, not a mask, not a move outdoors, not a change of meeting time. These are just wind and clouds. What's God doing? This big mess, what's God doing? He is, he is creating a resilient people. He is deepening convictions. That's what God is doing. That's why it's all disruptive. That's why it's all confusing. It's all changing and everything feels un uncomfortable. Why? Because God is like stirring up our nest. I, I, I want to know where your convictions lie. I want, I want you to know who you are. I want you to know who I've recreated you to be and what I've called you to be as a church. Nothing has happened that is stopping us from being the church. Nothing can or will happen that can stop us from being the people of God, banding together, helping one another, caring for one another, praying with one another, gathering together, worshiping together. Let's take Solomon's advice to heart. Most of what causes you and I to be disappointed, discouraged, and disillusioned has something to do with actually something that Solomon had. This is kind of the irony of the book. There's an interesting little uh, sort of self-counseling 
practice that, that works from time to time. It's ask yourself the question, if only, when you're struggling, ask yourself, if only I what? If only I had this. If only I was more gifted. If only I had more wisdom. Do you know how many times I have prayed, oh, Jesus, please give me the wisdom of Solomon. I have specifically prayed that prayer many, many times because you're in a situation and you remember Solomon with the two, two ladies both claiming to be the mother of one baby. They both sounded pretty convincing. And Solomon's supposed to be the judge and figure this thing out. And I find myself in situations, wow, these two ideas sound pretty compelling. This makes sense. That makes sense. Lord, 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 I need the wisdom of Solomon. And Solomon gets it. Cut the baby in half, he says, of all things to say. Cut the baby in half. And that piece of wisdom brought everybody's heart to the surface, smoked out the liar, brought out the true mom, cleared everything up, just the wisdom of God came in and just sorted it all out. And to this day, we still talk about that little piece of wisdom that Solomon had in that moment. If only I had some more money, if only I had the resources that Solomon had. If only my life had more pleasure, if only, man, I'd take half the pleasure that, that Solomon had. He had everything. The irony is that Solomon had more of all these things than most of us could even dream of. And yet, he's the most discouraged guy around. He's the one in the middle of the crisis. He's the one saying, I had it all. And I've been disappointed and discouraged and disillusioned. Being like Solomon may sound like a good deal. Most of us would really jump at the chance, like I said, to even have half the wisdom, half the resources, half the pleasures, what Solomon had. But being like Solomon is not our answer. And Jesus comes on the scene and makes a wonderful statement that puts us into perspective. He tells people in Matthew 12, verse 42, he says, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. What, what I'm saying is, when we get discouraged, it's often because we want something, something we could easily pick out of the life of Solomon. But in the wisdom of God, Jesus comes and he's telling us, look, Solomon's not your goal. And Solomon is not who you need to be. And a little bit more of whatever Solomon had is not really solving the problem for your disappointment, your discouragement, and your disillusionment. Something, someone greater than Solomon is here. What our soul needs is Christ. Christ, we're told in Colossians chapter 2, contain all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I was shooting too low, shooting for the wisdom of Solomon. 
And now I have Christ. All the treasure of wisdom in him. What does it mean to say that the wisdom is found in Christ, that, that all the treasures of wisdom are in Christ? It means that when we look to Christ, we, we see things as they truly are. And we know from that how to respond. So we look to Christ and we see he was sent to us because the Father so loved us. He came, he existed on the earth because of the love of the Father. That's a piece of wisdom. When you know that, you're gaining wisdom. Then on the earth, he healed all who were sick because he means for our greatest good and our greatest happiness. When you see that in Christ, you're gaining wisdom. He died for our sins so that you and I would escape death. We don't have to die for our sins. We cannot pay for our sins and live. So he came and he died in our place. And then he rose from the dead to prove that we have new life in him. This is like seeing the wisdom of God in Christ. We look to Christ and we know these things about the reality of the world we're living in and the reality of God's redemptive plan in our lives. We see these things and it's the wisdom of God. And now we begin to know from that wisdom how to live, how to walk. And we walk in a manner worthy of this gospel. Knowing, believing, living in these truths. This is the ultimate wisdom because that's what brings us into the presence of God himself. So folks, no matter how much folly surrounds us, we can be wise if we're in Christ. We're connected to the full wisdom of God. And as far as sowing seed, sowing more seed, Jesus has given us good reason not just to invest ourselves for him, but he calls us to actually lay down our lives. Maybe I'm inspiring you. Maybe you should say, oh, I want to try a little more. Maybe I'll invest a little bit more. Uh, I'm sorry. Actually, the call of Jesus is for all of us to lay down our lives. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That's the kind of harvest, the kind of inheritance that we want. Could I have the worship team come on up as we're going to close Two pieces of advice, two pieces of life or death advice in difficult times. Be joined to Christ where all the wisdom of God is found. And lay down your life like a seed being planted in the ground for God to take it and produce so much fruit. I've asked the worship team if they would sing at the end here, All I Have is Christ. I thought that would be a wonderful way for us to, to, to finish. Of all the troubles, of all the things that are disheartening, of all the obstacles and the challenges, and of all the things we desire and hope to see happen and want to see happen, could we shift our focus and say, really, all we need is Christ. 
all we have is Christ. Let's stand together and sing that song together.